0: This is Anthony Manfredi.
1: Hi, this is Opal Alipot. And this is the Performance Management TechCast podcast.
0: This is September 2020, and I'd like to welcome everyone to our inaugural Performance Management TechCast episode. For this very first episode, we are pleased to share our interview with the one and only Matt Bradley, the leader of Enterprise Performance Management at Oracle. I've known Matt since my time at Hyperion, when I started working in technical support for planning, HFM, and s He brings a great energy and excitement when he discusses the future of these products in this space. We were in for quite a treat.
1: So hi, Matt. It's great chatting with you. And thank you for agreeing to be our first interviewee. So let's start with a more detailed bio. Please introduce yourself to our audience.
2: Sure. Thanks, Sybil. Thanks, Anthony. So audience. I'm uh, Matt Bradley. I'm the Senior Vice President of Development for Enterprise Performance Management, sets of products and services here at Oracle. Um, I came to Oracle as part of the Hyperion acquisition and started with Hyperion longer than I care to admit publicly. Um, <laughs> so I've been in this space for considerable time. You know. And as a, as a little tidbit, um, obviously by my uh, accent, I was not born here in the US, grew up in <gasps> a shocker. <laughs> Grew up in Ireland, and, um, but I've been in the U.S. for about uh, just over 25 years now.
1: You as an SVP have a number of responsibilities on your shoulders. So what motivates you to get up and go to work in the morning?
2: Uh, great question. Um, I still have kids. <laughs> I still have bills <laughs> to pay. <laughs> uh, but, but more seriously, you know, it, it, there's a responsibility uh, for our team. Right. There's there's at least within my group, you know, several hundred of individuals whose careers are sort of banked on the leadership that I can bring. And it's making sure that we've got the, the right work for them to do and how they can actually advance inside of their careers and making sure we're doing the right things for those as individuals. And then secondly, you know, we do have responsibility to to our customers and making sure we're actually being responsive to them and making sure we're delivering value to to our customers uh the best way that we can so those are what basically gets me up in the morning it's um trying to be a little bit more altruistic rather than it's just the dollar
0: the space has gone through many changes over the years and it's been called many different things over time today oracle calls it enterprise performance management what does that really mean to you oracle and why do customers need it Good
2: questions. And you're right. We basically moved up the alphabet. I think when Hyperion originally uh, coined the term, it was business performance management, if I remember correctly, back in the day. (laughs) And then Gartner decided that wasn't good enough. They wanted to call it corporate performance management. Um, We seem to have skipped D altogether in the alphabet and went jump straight to E. Uh, And I think the the difference really between where it was originally in its incarnation is that we've expanded the definition of, of it to include things outside of finance um, in that broader sort of enterprise notion. It, you know, in, a, in a nutshell, it's, what we're doing is providing a strategic decision-making framework for organizations, be they commercial, public, or, or private, um, to really help them make a much more informed decision by addressing some of the key processes that we have in terms of understanding where we want to go, our planning, our forecasting, and understanding what has happened our closed reporting, management reporting sort of aspects. And while there is obviously a finance nature in it, this, what we're seeing now is is this becomes sort of the, uh, the guiding light, the steering of the ship, if you want, for the organization as a whole. And it involves a lot more folks than just traditional fp a controller individuals and organizations. It's got much broader context. And that's to a certain extent why we've embraced the enterprise performance management as, as the current incarnation. Do
0: you see clients actually – embracing the technology to use it that way or do you still see it segmented a lot for planning and are they really taking a look at the whole picture
2: well i, I would say we've seen advances more so in uh, in planning as a discipline uh rather than obviously the more accounting oriented, uh controller style uh you know consolidation style activities and, and what i mean by that is is the trend that we're seeing in in the in general and it's not the same across every industry certain industries you know, there's a, a, a greater need for it is this notion of planning or forecasting much more frequently than what they used to. Um, so the days of doing a budget and having an annual budget or somewhat in the, in the rearview mirror, it's really now about how can you forecast on a rolling basis and how can you forecast, not necessarily quarterly, but move that up to be monthly. And in certain instances, we do have customers move it up to be weekly and generating weekly forecasts so that you can get the insights, into the organization in terms of what's happening and you can become much more agile. You can change direction, you know, much more readily because of that, that frequency of information that you're getting. The other thing that we have seen is that individuals or organizations are pushing out the forecasting function to the edges of the organization that actually deals with the revenue generation activity. So, you know, we have got organizations who are planning at a store level or who are planning at a, you know, facility level, more so than what we used to be in the past. And this has got the two aspects of it. One is better involvement or accountability. So now it's the forecast for the organization, not what finance wanted, which is, which is different. And so the notion of being a scorekeeper has sort of gone away. It's now a case of we're in this together and this is the what we want to deliver as an organization is helpful. And then the other thing we do see is a shift towards leveraging operational metrics, so driver-based. So instead of forecasting in dollars and cents, forecast based on operational metrics, amount of widgets sold, uh, right. you know, amount of tons shipped, those kinds of things that, are, that basically a non-financial person is used to managing and used to forecasting and leverage that to drive the forecast. So in, in those contexts, with those two sort of key trends, if you want, we are mm-hmm. seeing planning being deployed much, much more broadly. I mean, in our context, it's not unusual to have, you know, several hundred individuals and organizations, up to several thousand individuals and organizations involved in a plan, in a forecasting process. Um, so that's that's sort of one area. Um, on the reporting side, I think the trend is towards increased transparency, and that's where you sort of move away from just displaying the PL or the cash flow or the balance sheet. It's really, you have to display those plus the commentary that explains what these numbers mean to somebody who may not necessarily be a, you know, as fait with the financial constraints, right? Not all of us are US GAAP or IFRS, compl- you know, lit- you know uh, lit- literate. So that, so that there is this notion of, okay, what does it mean when this number shifts from here to here? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? And having that commentary and explanation and pushing that out again to a broader Uh, group of individuals either internally and more importantly even externally and making sure that people really understand the nature of the business because a lot of our businesses are are shifting right we're moving away if you take oracle as an example we're shifting away from a product orientated company to becoming a service orientated company and what does that mean in how we recognize revenue is now different than than before what does that mean how does that look what is the new metrics? What are the new trends you need to know and understand? And, and because of that shifting business model, that's where that commentary becomes extremely important in terms of people now understand what it means.
0: Oh, that's great stuff. And, and to support those, those client trends, how does the technology, how do you feel like your technology's been adapting or the trends in the technology to support those?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a constant, um, you know, uh, a challenge. And I think the, I would say one of the benefits that we're seeing with, with a move towards software as a service versus the on-premise uh, delivery model is that we have the ability from a technology company to deliver feature function much faster than what we used to be able to do. Or, and it's not necessarily the delivery, it's the, the ability for customers to adopt it and absorb it much faster than what we used to be able to do. You know, in the traditional model, we would have developed software for you know three to four years, We would have given it to customers. They would have gone through a large technical exercise to do the upgrade or the update or whatever, the installation aspect of that. And by the time that was done, budget was exhausted and there was no functional benefit per se, right? Yes, you were in a more compliant system and you had later versions of operating systems and that, but there really wasn't much more transformative as part of that process. And with the cloud, because of that sort of been removed, you know, you show up on a, on a Monday and guess what? It's been updated over the weekend and there's some new features that you can turn on and take advantage of. We're able to really focus on that aspect of it rather than the mechanics. And so, you know, we can give features and customers can adopt these features much quicker and faster. And so that, that's been a, a, to a certain extent, a saving aspect of, of the move towards SaaS. In terms of addressing some of the, the challenges though that we have, things like the user experience has sort of increased in importance because you're reaching out to a broader audience, just having a spreadsheet interface that finance loves and understands is not necessarily cutting it when you're dealing with, you know, maybe it's a sales manager or a store manager or somebody who's just doing, you know, their quick forecast. This is not their, you know, all day, 24 seven job, they're running a business. So they want to come into the system, get value from it and move on. And so there's work that we we've been you know, starting and working in terms of how can we improve this? How can we distill it down to the essence that's needed and required? What other additional interface mechanisms, user experiences can we apply that enables, you know, these folks to actually get involved in the system and actually address the, you know, their, their needs and requirements. So that's important. Um, I think the other piece is obviously a, a, a shift in sophistication and a shift in automation, which is key. Right? So mm-hmm. we're all doing more more with the same number of resources. So how do we actually achieve that? If we're forecasting on a weekly basis, we can't spend all day getting that forecast done. It has to be quick. It has to be scalable. It has to be fast. So those are, again, are some areas that we're, we obviously spend a lot of time and energy in. And then the other areas is, is there are technical advances um, that we want to look to apply into this space as well. So things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, what role can it play? And can we take advantage of those algorithms and the acceptance of those algorithms and apply that to this domain? You know, can we take advantage of, uh, you know, mobile devices? Um, so we can plan from anywhere or report from anywhere. We're not tied to our desks, although we, we kind of are right now, but when things get back to normal, we'll be mobile again and be able to, not that I would encourage folks to do, but we could do it. You know, we're watching our kids soccer game and we could approve a budget, approve a forecast. Um, You know, I've been able to do those without necessarily having to have a a Windows desktop sitting on our lap in order to achieve that. So I think some of those things are are areas that we want to blend back in through and really try to address that overall experience so we can remove the hindrance of doing this activity while it's important, but make sure that the focus is on really trying to drive the business forward.
0: Have you seen a lot of uh, effects uh, from COVID-19, Matt, in the market? Have you guys really been affected at all?
2: Without getting into the specifics, given uh, reporting cycles and when we're reporting as a public company, what we have seen is, is ultimately, and, and you'll see it you know, if you, if you look at our results over time, there is obviously initial impact, which w- was expected to a certain extent. When the economy closes down, like it closed down, and as rapidly as it closed down, the initial response for most organizations is the resilience. How do I ensure I've got the liquidity to weather the storm? You know, let me look at my cash. Let me figure out how much I've got on. Let, let me look at my commitments. Let's see what I can do in order to preserve capital. And as a consequence, spending sort of slows down or drains to a halt fairly dramatically. Once that initial shock is over, the next logical—not logical—well, the next thing that typically happens, and we've seen this before in other crises. This is not the first crisis that um, you know we've been through. Haven't been in this space for 20 odd years. There's been other ones. There's an immediate swing to, oh my goodness, what can we do now? How do we forecast the future? How do we plan better? And there's a natural swing towards let's improve these processes, which, you know, Hyperion uh, has always been somewhat or even performance management has always been somewhat counterintuitive. When things are bad, that's when you double down in performance management. Mm -hmm. When things are going well, you know, do you need to pay as much attention and there's, there's a natural affinity not to do so much, but now in this, it's really key in terms of, You know, what's profitable, what's not profitable? What's our forecast going to look like? You know, how can we actually drive the business forward? And then as you move into the next phase, you know, and you'll see it in most crises, there'll be an increase in in, um, uh, M&As, divestitures, those kinds of things as organizations wrestle with, here's the new shape that we need to be as we move towards a more extended recovery phase. And again, EPM has got an extremely important role to play I- inside of those cycles in terms of how do you manage that change, how you reconsolidate numbers, you know, how do you look at all the what effing that needs to get done from a scenario modeling planning kind of context. And so we, we generally run a little counter once that initial shock is over and end up we see an increase in activity with, uh, you know, enterprise performance management in general.
0: Oracle EPM has been a leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant for several years in both cloud financial close and financial planning and analysis solutions. From your experience and from that from that viewpoint, what do you feel that these solutions are lacking today?
2: Good question. It's been our, well, it's been my history. I'll, I'll put it to me. I've always been the leader. Um, you know, if you go back to the like Hyperion days, I'll claim leadership. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I've never been outside the Magic Quadrant Top, top right corner with the stuff that we've done. And it's something that we're proud of. Uh, and it's something that we'll continue to, to ensure that we maintain on that leadership slot. So we're not resting on laurels. We're going to continue to drive and innovate as we go forward. In terms of what's lacking, and a lot of this is really getting expressed by, you know, obviously from our customers because they're the real judge of what's good or what's bad, not just counting Gartner, but I'd much prefer to be the leader and maintain our leadership in terms of customers rather than our leadership in an analyst perspective. And they tell us things like it is still an ongoing series of activities that we need to do. One is, you know, it's still complex. And some of that is the domain, you know um, you know, for those who don't have an accounting background, but if you work through, you know, why does this roll up to this in the balance sheet and not roll up over Not everybody gets it. It's not always intuitive. And there's levels of complexity with that. If you go into some detailed consolidation style logics, it, it is complex in terms of making sure the numbers tick and tie and, and you understand how it flows and why it flows where it flows. Still, there's a level of complexity that's in there. Then our specific products, I mean, we do probably expose more technology than what we'd like. And we want to basically shield the customer from the technology because they just want to get the business done, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's an area that we'll continue to, to need to operate on. There's still a lot of what I would call scripting, in general, and it's not just inside of my products, but if you look across the board at all of the other leading products in the in this space, we all have a similar challenge in terms of there is still quite a lot of scripting involved and there, it gets technical quicker than what it should. And I, and I think that's an area that we'll, um, we need to do some more additional work as a sector as a whole, you know, in terms of trying to address that. When compared to other domains, we are more toolkit platform than we are application, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, and part of that is the domain. Not everybody plans the same way. You know, I could talk to two manufacturers in the exact same industry back to back, and you never know from what they're planning <laughs> that they're actually <laughs> in the same business. But but that ends up being you know the secret sauce of an organization as to why some are more successful than others is because of you know what they do and how they do and how they run and how they manage. That's part of where we need to spend a little bit more time and energy as a, as a as a group is to how do we shift this more to the app and a lot less away from the tool to find that happy medium. And I think that's always been a struggle. It's the double-edged sword, right? So we all know that flexibility is great. Um, It means we can solve any problem, but it also means you can get into a lot of problems with the flexibility, right? And I think there's still that balance that needs to be adjusted as as we move forward with sophistication and resist it becoming even more technical with like data science and with other aspects that, that we could overcomplicate the space more than it needs to be.
0: Recently, there's been some really exciting releases uh, that you guys have come out with dashboards 2.0. Is there anything that you're really excited about that's upcoming and then within this year that you're excited about that you guys have been working on?
2: Uh, i mean there 's a couple of things you know obviously the, the, you know the dashboards really talks towards that UX and how can we actually improve that interactivity with the the animations in, in the graphics and the ease in which you can drag and drop and build those particular components it 's the good old you know p- uh, picture paints a thousand words notion that just makes things pop a little bit better uh, off the screen and, and it gives a level of interactivity. I think the next stage on, on that we 're basically working on is to make dashboards not just be a one-way visualization right. is that when I'm in the visualization, can I actually change the data? Yeah. You know, and that's an area that, that we'll, we'll be looking at in terms of, of, you know, quickly interacting with the data. So it turns into a full interactive situation, right? So if I see a graph and I see a trend, I can immediately figure out what's the variables, what needs to be adjusted uh, on that, make that change, see that change, and then basically go, okay, that's my new scenario and off I go.
0: Yeah, in, for in, like so, scenario play and things like that, right, Matt? That would, yeah, that's
2: exactly. Beautiful. Well, even you know, just standard forecasting, you know, th- those kinds of elements. So I think we are putting in quite a lot of work and attention as to how we can drive that forward. Um, that we're definitely spending some time and energy in the other areas that we, we were spending, obviously, working was that We have released the Auto Predict, which is something that we're very interested in. You know, in terms of we've always had predictions in the product; it's been there for many, many years. With auto predict though, it's, it's the ability that you can establish a slice. And as data comes into that slice, we can then auto predict what that data would be as you move forward. And, and the notion here is this notion of a, a, at least the nirvana that we have, is this notion of a touchless forecast. And the reason we're very interested in this piece is that it does change the dynamic of the forecasting cycle. As new data becomes available, we can immediately forecast. It becomes much more event oriented rather than periodic or time-orientated. So you only have to forecast if something changes data-wise. Otherwise, why do you forecast, right? And then the notion ends up being is not necessarily removing the human from this. We're not, you know, we're not going all cyborg or whatever, terminator on this. It's really a case of taking the mechanics out of it, giving you a, a starting point. Here's what the algorithms say, right? Here's what your forecast would look like if everything else con- continues the way that it has historically done. You, as the individual responsible for that forecast, can either accept that, reject it, augment it, change it, add commentary to explain why you don't agree with it, and, and in that way basically help refine and increase that forecast accuracy. And, and I think that's an area of continual research that we're, we're doing in terms of what are the right algorithms to apply that are effective in this space. And, you know, I think that's you know, something else that we're very, we're very excited in terms of how we move that forward. And then I think the other area of research that we're dealing with is within the close area. Most organizations are generally fairly good at getting the mechanics of the close down. There are a few who still need help, We more, more than happily help them through that process, but they've got the numbers. Where companies are still struggling is understanding what those numbers mean. And reducing the time between we've got the first draft of the numbers to now we're ready to disclose to the street or disclose internally what the numbers mean, that is still a a protracted process for a lot of organizations. We have the initial draft, day four, but it still takes us another two weeks to figure out what they mean. And it's really trying to address that space, you know, with, with what level of insights we can provide, with the certain level of data mining that can be applied to that, that can spot these patterns, can really try to elevate the understanding and trends in this nature so that you can get through that analytical portion of the close much quicker, much faster. And again, that's, that's an area that we, uh, we're spending quite a bit of time and energy, just having a look at what makes sense and how we can apply some of this, you know, these new algorithms uh, in, in that space so that we can really address things.
1: So let's shift over and talk about Oracle as a leader and what that means for competitors. And in this particular space, you know, I think we've all seen that there are a number of competitors specifically for Oracle EPM. Curious as to what analytics does your team and or Oracle use to determine how you're faring in the marketplace?
2: Good question. I mean, I think competition is great. It keeps us on our toes and it stops us becoming complacent in this space. Um, So we welcome that in terms of it. It shines a light on this area, and so you know it's been great that we've seen IPOs from Blackline and from Anaplan and from some of the other organizations that's out there. It's great that we've seen some venture capital infusion into some of the other companies that are out there. It's good to see that you know Adaptive was picked up and, and brought into Workday. So all those things are fairly positive. Broadens out at least from a financial venture capital standpoint. There's gold in them, there hills, which which is a good place to be, right? So we welcome that. What we do is that we're not as much focused. Externally, in terms of what's really, you know, what are the feature function that the other organizations are, are building and doing? We're really focused. Given that we have, uh, you know, the software as a service in an extremely large customer base, mm-hmm. we're mining usage data that we're gathering from how they're interacting and leveraging our applications. So, okay. as we introduce a new feature, for example, we're able to track how many people leverage it and use it, and what is the adoption rate, which then gives us signals in terms of we're onto something. You know, we've addressed an itch and a feature that's been very effective, or we've missed the mark. And we're we're doing more on that basis, really addressing ourselves in terms of, you know, where where are the, are the customers taking this? Because ultimately, that's what's going to, you know, especially in SaaS, that's what's going to make or break organizations. It's not what X Y Z competitor does. It's really, you know, are you keeping your customers happy, and are you, you know, continue to give value back to that customer community, and. Obviously, we get it, you know, from direct usage information, but we do have a, a rich ecosystem, mm-hmm. both from a partner community that we'll listen to because that's just a great way to, you know, multiplex. So the partner can represent 10 customers or 20 customers, depending on their sphere of influence. So that's a great way to get that distilled. So we're not getting a single point. You're getting a, you know, a much more concentrated point and really listening to that community in terms of what's happening. And then we also have within inside of our ecosystem, the, you know, the customer connect. Where we have all of our customers can join all of our partners can join, and they can share ideas wouldn 't it be good if the product did this wouldn 't it be great if we did something else and, and we 're leveraging that together again the sort of pulse and enhancement that we need to put in place in terms of driving the, the products forward and it 's not just the straightforward you know wouldn 't it be good if they did this but it 's also the we tried to do this in the product. did anybody figure out a good way to do it and then somebody says, "Oh, we did it this way and we did it that way." And, you know, the product management team is looking at that and going, you know what, that's a great feature. We should make that part of the system instead of having to have this be a customization or a configuration, you know, that's done by the customers. Why don't we just make it a straightforward feature? So we're really, you know, paying attention at those particular levels more so than, you know, externally looking to see what's the latest uh, release coming from XYZ vendor and what do they put in place, et cetera, from that standpoint.
1: Now, Oracle EPM has been described by many as a set of plug and play solutions, kind of each with their own purpose and fit. And the Oracle EPM website describes it as the most effective EPM solution because it's an integrated suite. And this is a very different direction in some cases uh, than some of your competitors. Explain why is this strategy and solution the right performance management solution for clients? Okay.
2: Good. Yeah. I think our mental model is, and bear with me, is the, is the iPhone. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the iPhone gives you a, a, basically an integrated set of modules that actually try to address different things that you typically do, right? So you don't use the same tool to send an email as you use to look up your contacts, as you use to take notes, right? There's three mm-hmm. separate modules, if you want, that are fit for purpose, but they're all integrated and they can share information between each other. And, you know, so if you've got a contact that you want to share over email, it's really easy to do that and those kinds of activities. And so we have a similar kind of concept and it's different from what we had in the on-prem, right? Because I think that's still a misconception that's out there. In the on-prem, we definitely had disparate technology stacks, right? So HFM was completely different than Mm -hmm. planning, which is different from XYZ, right? And when we moved to the cloud, everything's built on the same platform, right? So the same skill sets that are needed to run, manage and maintain, is the same regardless of which business process you're actually going to do. But we still believe that the individual business processes have enough specificity that they shouldn't be the one model to rule them all. The way you do forecasting and planning is, is different than the way you do financial consolidation. And as a consequence, we believe that they need to be separate but connected so that they can move forward at the pace that makes sense for that business. Right. There's a national resistance, if you want, in the consolidation space for change, because we're more interested in period over period and in, in, in continuity of business and those kinds of things. And there's a healthy tension in planning to let's change everything and, you know, rework the world at every juncture, uh, you know, as we move things forward, because it's dealing about the future. And, and you can't strangle one process or constrain one process because of the other. Um, And that's part of why we believe that, yes, these are independent processes. They've got their own lifecycle, but there needs to be connected with shared technology and the ability to, to, much like the phone, I can take a contact out of contacts and share it on an email and do that with a single click. It's the same thing inside of uh, the EPM suite that we're actually producing and moving forward.
1: Along those same lines, I've heard this before from some of the product managers and I've actually seen it myself. You know, There's a lot of social media platforms out there and sometimes there's misinformation that is spread about these tools, especially in a highly competitive landscape. So what, if any, misconceptions of the Oracle EPM solution would you like to clarify for us today?
2: We talked it probably sort of tangentially earlier, and it really mm-hmm. is this whole notion of product versus service. Historically, we've not had the greatest reputation. No disrespect to Anthony, it happened after he left Hyperion support. <laughs> but we, 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 it's not the most stellar of reputation in terms of the level of support, the level of service that you get. And we've worked extremely diligently and hard in order to address that as we shifted towards the SaaS. And, and it's a variety of different mechanisms that we put in place. We've established a lot more developer-led programs that can help customers like our implementation success program or performance testing program our automated regression testing program and some of those general services that we have available. And part of that is deliberate. We wanted to have interaction between developers and customers rather than having either a service and or support organization in between. So we're getting unfiltered views from the customer directly to the developer. So you can see exactly how your product has been leveraged and used and understand the good, the bad, the ugly, and then do something about it. As opposed to the blame game. Oh, it's only because our support don't understand what they're doing. It's, it's not that. Or it's because the partner is, you know, doesn't understand the product, it's them kind of stuff. And it's really trying to get that unfiltered view from, from that standpoint. So we're working extremely hard to address that perception. It's probably the biggest one that we don't have uh, good support or you can get better support elsewhere. And I think that's something that we're, we're working really hard with ourselves and with our our support organization to address those things like our standard operating procedures that we're putting in place. If things go bump, here's the recipe to get it back to where it needs to be and moving that to be as much uh, on the control of the customer than having to open up an SR and getting us involved. So it's things like our application activity report where you've got, you know, a behind-the-curtain view of what's occurring inside of your application. Here's what's slow. Here's what's fast. Here's how often your customers or users are logging in. Here's what browser they are ver- using. Here's what version of uh, Excel they're using. So you've got much more visibility in your user community usage, which queries are slow, so you can go and have a look yeah. and see what you can do to address them. So I think that is is an area that we spend quite a lot of energy in in order to address the reputation that we had in terms of support and service and really try to uplift and elevate that fairly dramatically with the shift to SaaS. So that's the big one that we're, that I'm focused on. The other stuff that's out there, all I can just ask, try it. (laughs) There's thousands of customers out there who are all extremely happy with their decision. Join us uh, and you'll also be happy with your
0: decision too. So Matt, yeah, I'm, uh, just let me know. We can talk later about going back to support. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of clients recently have been asking me that Oracle EPM on-prem 11.2.2 came out over the summer and they're interested in uh, on-prem upgrades. Uh, they don't want to move to the cloud just yet. What is your long-term strategy for on-prem? So fundamentally, our strategy
2: for the on-premise customers is to give them 10 years line of sight in terms of a supportive platform. So that while we have a significant portion of customers still in the on-premise, we will evaluate it every year and make a, you know, an updated announcement in terms of, you know, next year I fully anticipate announcing 2032, uh, the year after that, 2033. Mm-hmm. So so that that is sort of that ongoing commitment to the on-premise customers that you will have 10 years line of sight in terms of we're not going to sort of say, we're not going to support you and it's next Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of those, it's 10 years, you've got plenty of time to make an informed decision as to what your next juncture would be. Part of the 11.2 release was to basically get us to a solid platform, technically, remove some of the technical debt from that so we can stand behind those products and provide that line of, you know, 10-year line of sight. And that's to a certain extent what we've seen with the 11.2 already. So we did the 2-1, we did the 2.2, 2.3 is in the, in the works. Uh, hopefully, we'll come out September, October. Uh, we 've got a two four that 's probably looking like january, and then we 'll have a two five a two six, a two seven and so we fully anticipate you know continue to do these releases now we 've made the shift to become a little bit more frequent uh, for a, a variety of reasons. We don 't want to get into the the old sort of on prem you know you have to do this big upgrade. notion, you know, and really move to much more agile fashion, right? We're not moving all the way to the monthly cadence that we have for cloud, but we move to a quarterly, maybe three times a year, that kind of cadence that enables us to keep pace with change and and deliver smaller bites, you know, in terms of it's easier to absorb and update as opposed to having to go through a, a long protracted cycle. So we're really trying to manage that change management perspective from the customer standpoint. So what we're sort of at right now is that we are still in the, the you know, dealing with the technical debt. iExplorer got deprecated, okay, fine. So now we've got to go do the work for, you know, Chrome, Chromium, et cetera, and make sure we've got that in place. We are looking at newer versions of SQL Server, Oracle Database, and making sure we've got those things taken care of in any of our third party elements that we have still left in the product. We've updated those to a level that is secure and compliant and been able to drive that forward. We did have some flash as an example that we need to remove before the end of this year because browsers ain't going to be supporting flash come january right and so that's actually all the way back to our 2.4 release the the prior incarnation as well as the 11.2 so there's that's kind of where we're at right now it's just dealing with that level of change and making sure we have that stabilized we are actually seeing some fairly healthy adoption of the 11.2 which is kind of interesting there was some latent demand if you want for for a version of the product that did extend beyond or 1124, and where it was at. So, so that's kind of what the 112 has done. And we're going to stand behind that. And as I say, every year, probably in the in the April timeframe, because it's generally aligned with all of the rest of the Oracle Applications Unlimited set of products. So, PeopleSoft, eBusiness Suite, Siebel, you know, uh, those mainstays. Similar process. You know, here's the 10 years line of sight. Here's the commitment to the customer. And so you can move to our cloud at a pace that makes sense, or you stay on your on premise. If the value proposition is not there, continue to work and operate as you you do today, because everybody's got competing priorities and, you know, a shift to cloud may not necessarily be high on that list. So we wanted to give them plenty of time and plenty of uh, breathing space with the 11.2, and we'll continue to drive that forward. And then we do anticipate moving to much more functional style updates as we go forward in terms of addressing longstanding open service requests that we have inside of you know, HFM, inside of planning, inside of the, the, the products that we do support. So there is a commitment that it's not just technical debt. We actually will, will address a limited set of feature functions as we, as we continue to add value for our on-premise customers.
0: I think they're going to be excited to hear that, Matt. If you could give just one piece of advice to new or potential existing customers out there who are looking at this space, what would it be? Only one piece of
2: advice? Yeah, just
0: (laughs) keep it short. If you got a couple, you know, but...
2: You have to do your homework. You have to do this with your eyes open. Do your due diligence. Do you understand what what you're getting into? We all have strengths and weaknesses with respect to the various products that are in the marketplace. And it's really making sure that the strengths you have match to the to the things that you value in terms of your organization. So that's, I would say, would be the, the best piece of advice to, to give to them. Don't, don't always believe the hype. You know, do your homework and check with your peers. And, you know, do value things like, you know, the viability. Uh, do value things like, you know, the ecosystem in terms of the skill sets that are there. Because it's an investment not only in a new software or a new service or a new technology. It's also an investment at a personal level in your career. And if you're learning a new skill set, it's generally better to have a skill set that is in demand rather than one that is not in demand. So, so I think it's one of those, you got to take a step back and, and, and view it in a you know a broader perspective. It's great
0: advice.
1: Thank you so much for your time today, Matt. We really do appreciate it. Are there any parting comments or thoughts that you would like to impart to our audience?
2: Follow this uh, podcast. I think it's going to be... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, awesome. you guys, you know. <laughs> it's another wonderful channel that we can push out there to really educate the audience in vendor agnostic and just general thematic stuff will be uh yeah you know, i think it'll be a great welcome addition to the various other channels that they have in place so best of luck to you thanks thank you so you. much for inviting me to be your inaugural speaker and don't be a stranger
0: thanks
1: matt. thanks matt thank
0: you for listening statements in this show represent the views of the participants and the hosts and not necessarily the views of any organizations they may be affiliated with you can reach us on twitter anthony at the manfredi and opal at woman in epm with the hashtag pm techcast please remember to subscribe to get the latest from the performance management techcast